Good morning, brothers and sisters. In the homily today, I want to try to teach you something about the mind of God, understanding God, how he thinks, and his preferences is very important for having a good relationship with him. This is true, of course, with any relationship. The better you know somebody, what they like, what they don't like, the fewer misinterpretations you're going to have, and the better ultimately the relationship will, will be. This is true also in regards to our relationship with the Lord. So one of the things that God prefers, that it's very important that all of you know, is he prefers to do ordinary things to give you grace. He prefers ordinary ways of giving grace, as opposed to the big miraculous signs. Now, generally, we like the big flashy stuff. We like the big miracles, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, you know, that kind of stuff. And when we're often asking God for grace, on some level, that's what we're expecting. You know, if God's going to act, it's going to be amazing. That is actually not true. Usually when God acts, it's in such a normal and hidden and natural way, if you're not looking for it, you don't even notice it. God prefers, he prefers to give his graces to us in ordinary, everyday, common things to which we submit, in which we are obedient. So, in our gospel today, Jesus does perform this amazing miracle. He heals not one, not two, not five, ten lepers at once. Ten lepers at once. Who else has ever done that in history? But how does he do it? When they come to him, Jesus doesn't say, be healed. You know, the clouds parted, ah, and this light shone down from heaven upon them, and the, the scales just fell from their body. No, no. He tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. When they leave him, and when they're on their way, they are healed. They're not even with Jesus anymore. Now, why would he tell them to go show themselves to the priests? Well, if you don't know Jewish law, you'd miss this. It is Jewish law that if someone with leprosy is healed of leprosy, before they're allowed back in society, they have to go to the priest and he has to examine them to make sure that the leprosy is gone. It's Jewish law. Jesus says, you want to be healed? Follow the law. Go to the priests. And as they're on their way, being obedient to Jesus' command in this normal everyday legal requirement, that's when they are healed. He asked them to do something very normal that was a part of the law of Israel. And if that doesn't convince you, that's okay. We can go to our first reading today. This is a very famous story. Our Lord even quotes it in one of the Gospels when Naaman, this pagan, this Syrian, has leprosy. He's a very powerful, very wealthy man. And one of his slaves is an Israelite. And this Israelite slave says, you know, there's a prophet, Elisha, in my home country of Israel, who's got the power of God. I bet if you go to him and ask, he can bring about your healing. So Naaman thinks, this is a great idea. I didn't know anybody could heal leprosy. So he gets his servants and a lot of money, gold, camels, donkeys, all of that stuff. And he travels to Israel to find Elisha the prophet. And when he finds him, he asks him to intercede. And Elisha tells Naaman to do this. He says, fine, go to the Jordan River, it's here in Israel, it's not far away, and bathe seven times in it, and you will be healed. Naaman didn't like this. 
he didn't think this would work. In fact, he says to all of his servants around him, the rivers of my home country are much cleaner and nicer than the Jordan. Why didn't I just bathe in them? And this is the response his servants give to Naaman. He's ready to go home and not do what the prophet said. The servants say, my father, if the prophet told you to do something extraordinary, would you not do it? All the more since he told you to wash and be clean. We, like Naaman, think God's going to do flashy stuff and we need to do flashy, big, extraordinary things to receive those graces as well. Again, God prefers to work in the ordinary way. So Naaman, he goes down to the Jordan River, bathes seven times, comes up, miraculously healed. In your own lives, God is more often than not, 99.9% of the time, going to give you all of the supernatural graces and even miracles for which you are praying through ordinary means. So one last example that comes from the rosary, obviously the gospels as well. The second luminous mystery of the rosary, the miracle of the wedding feast at Cana. Now this is the first public miracle Jesus has ever performed. We can assume maybe he did kind of quiet, hidden, private ones, but he never did a public miracle before this moment. And there he is at the wedding feast with his mom and his disciples and the other guests, and they run out of wine. Jesus is obviously aware that they ran out of wine because he's not drinking wine. His cup is empty. But he's not concerned. Mary sees that they ran out of wine, but she's concerned. She's concerned that this poor couple that just got married is going to be shamed in front of all of their friends because they ran out of wine. Now, some people may say, well, what's the big deal, right? It's, it's just a wedding celebration. When was the last time you went to a wedding party where there was no alcohol, right? Um, set aside the Baptists, okay? <laughs> but in every other religion, in every other culture, for thousands and thousands of years, you have alcohol at a wedding party. It's one of the things you have to celebrate. So imagine you run out. Your guests are not going to be very pleased with you. So Mary sees this. She doesn't want this newlywed couple to be shamed. She doesn't have any money to buy any more wine but she knows her son. So like a good Jewish mother, she goes to Jesus and she says, son, they have no wine. And he says, mom, I'm gonna paraphrase, what's the big deal? I'm okay, I don't need any wine. He says, my hour has not yet come. What he's referring to is the Last Supper and the Passion. Jesus technically in his life only needs wine at the Last Supper when he's going to change the wine into his blood. He doesn't need wine any other time except that. So he's telling his mother, why is it my problem? Now Mary doesn't reprimand, son, you do something about this. How many times have I told you to be nice to people? No, she doesn't do anything like that. She turns to the servants and she says to them, do whatever he says. So she leaves it up to Jesus to make the decision, do whatever he says. Now what does Jesus tell them to do in order to bring about this first miracle? He tells them, see those stone water jars? Go fill them with water. Now, it was Jewish custom, because it was Jewish law, that every home had to have very large stone water jars by the front door, several of them. Because whenever they would have guests, you would have to wash the feet of your guests before they would come into the house. It was ritual cleansing. It was required by Jewish law. So every Jewish home had this. 
and they always had to be kept filled because you didn't know when guests were going to come. So these servants have most likely filled these stone water jars hundreds if not thousands of times. It is one of the most basic common duties of a household servant in Israel to make sure the water jugs by the door are filled. If they didn't have to go out every day to do it, they'd have to do it several times a week. This was a job they did all the time. It was very ordinary and common. So imagine you're one of these servants. And you hear Mary tell you, just do whatever Jesus says. And Jesus says, just do that common thing you have to do every day as a servant. But Lord, we need wine. What is water going to do? Water's not going to help us, Jesus, right? What's the point? Why, why go do this when it has nothing to do with our need? with the the prayer that we're making to you, the miracle for which we are asking. So Jesus asks them to do this incredibly common thing, and they are obedient to him, and through their obedience, his first public miracle was performed. Now, in our lives, again, 99.9% of the time, this is how God will give you grace. This is how God will answer the prayers that you are lifting up to him. Whatever you're asking, whether it's a healing, a conversion, virtue, whatever it is that you're asking, God will give you that grace through your ordinary lives, your ordinary vocations, and the humble obedience and fulfillment of those responsibilities. Like Naaman, sometimes we can be tempted to think, okay, I've got to pray a thousand rosaries to get this intention from God. Or, or I have to go into the church and prostrate myself on the floor and beat myself ten times a day for a year. You know, maybe God just wants a rosary. Just give him one rosary. You don't have to overdo it. Notice how he continually supports the laws of Israel. Do you follow the laws of the church? Do you keep asking him for grace but disregarding the teachings and rules of his church? So often we ask God for special graces, and I often ask people, well, when was the last time you went to confession? Maybe God has already given the grace. It's just there in confession waiting for you. A lot of times you cry out to God for some type of enlightenment. Lord, show me what I need to do. Lord, direct me. And he never seems to answer. When was the last time you asked somebody for advice? Maybe God has already given the answer to them. You just have to be humble enough to ask this person. It's ordinary. Even the Eucharist, if you think about it, the greatest miracle, the greatest miracle that Christ has given to us, his real presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity, is given to us in the most ordinary way possible, food something we do three times a day. What's more ordinary than that? We gather and we celebrate a sacrificial meal. God prefers the ordinary way, but it takes a degree of humility to submit to that because it might not be what we prefer. We have to remember this. Humble, ordinary obedience to laws, to rules, to institutions, 
That will be the means by which God will answer your prayers. Now, if there is a grace for which you are praying that is very great, it may take more than the ordinary things to obtain, but you don't have to worry about figuring that out. If God realizes that to give you this grace, a greater sacrifice must be offered, he will give you the sacrifice. He will do that. You don't have to go and find it. There's really no need to take on extra penances. Just do the ordinary penances you're supposed to be doing. And then if you're crying out to God for the conversion of some loved one who's far from him, that's a huge grace. So it may require a large cross. Know that if God sees it as necessary, he will give you those crosses that you need. You don't have to go looking for them. They will come to you. Your job is to humbly submit to them, not to resist. My mother used to always say, I'm sure she still does, that crosses come in threes. Crosses come in threes. Big crosses, at least. There's always little stuff we have to be patient with and forgive. But the big things come in threes. Now, I think the reason for that is because the average person can handle one to two big problems at a time. You've got two arms, two legs. You can handle one to two big problems at a time. It's like when you have two little ones, you can, you can wrestle two little ones to submission somehow when they're being disobedient. That third child comes along and you're like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, trying to wrap your leg around them and hold them down. I think our Lord always gives them in threes because it's the only thing that breaks us. It's beyond our normal strength. Three is a very holy number. It's the number of our God. And if you think about it, how many times did Jesus fall under the weight of his cross? Three times. Three times. Whenever he gives us crosses, he is trying to conform us to himself. In order to be perfectly conformed to Christ, you have to fall under your cross too. He will continue to lay upon you some burden until you're crushed under it, and you have to turn to others for help, just like Jesus. You will need your own Simon of Cyrene to help you bear that burden. Now, Jesus didn't fall under his cross because he was inherently weak. He's God. He's inherently strong. But he chose to be weak for us. He chose that. And he wants us to be willing to submit to weakness as well. Because in that submission, in that obedience to his will, we find true humility. And our Lord can refuse the request of no one who asks with humility. So in your own life, remember these things. You don't have to go out of your way to do anything amazing, extraordinary, or supernatural. Just be humble. Submit in obedience to the ordinary requirements of society, of the church, of your family. And offer your prayers to God, asking for that which you want and that which you need. And expect that through these ordinary means, he will answer your prayer. Yes, it is nice when we get the flashy miracle, but I'm telling you, miracles happen to you all the time. But you miss them. You miss them because they come in these ordinary ways. 
name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 